Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Craig Pickett. Today we are talking aftermarket and blockchain with Eldon Thomas, co-founder of Jet Data and Velo Aviation. Eldon comes to the industry with a wealth of knowledge, starting with Boston Consulting Group, Aviation Assurance, and now in his current roles where he's been raising capital to take the aftermarket parts industry to the next level. Hey, Eldon, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So all is good in San Diego? The sun is now shining after a rainy weekend? The sun is out and life is good down in San Diego. So we're enjoying the extra sunshine with a time change, so uh, all is good. So good. So let's start with, uh, let's start with, uh, with Velo Aviation and then jet and, and roll jet data into it. Tell me what, uh, tell me what you guys are up to. Sure. Well, it's interesting. I don't really come from an aviation background. I spent a lot of time in corporate uh, America doing finance and working with, you know, manufacturing and technology companies. Came to aviation relatively late. Worked with a company, uh, Avi- Aviation Assurance, here in Southern California, and got introduced to the surplus parts business. And ended up founding a company, Bellow Aviation, with a co-founder, and been doing that since 2012. So uh, during that process, I think we discovered a crazy industry with a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of uh, brokers kind of involved in the business. And that really kind of resonated with my background in finance and other industries questioning, why is that the case? Why is the you know, supply chain side of aviation so behind uh, technically and also behind from a market perspective of most other industries. And that really is the genesis of, of Jet Data. We decided that we wanted to do something about it and really see if we can't uh, change how, uh, change the transparency, the information that's used in the supply chain for aviation. And, and, and Jet Data is our answer sharing information across the industry and, and also utilizing blockchain for, um, for tracking and uh, bringing transparency to the supply chain. So you, you were telling me with, with Velo and now Jet Data, you've got some pretty good, I mean, you, you've made some pretty good inroads with the airlines and you've gotten them talking to some, to some degree and you've, you've put some process in place to help those guys out. What, uh, how, how is all that, how is all that working? Tell us, tell us what you can about how you guys are moving forward. Um, certainly some sanity to an insane market. <laughs> well, the fun thing is with Velo, I got to travel around the world and spend a lot of time with different airlines and major MROs and, and literally walk their warehouses with them, walk through their processes and, 
and look at their books and just talk about some of the challenges and struggles, right? And I think um, that started a conversation with a few major uh, MROs and airlines of why they didn't share information about transactions for purchases and also transactions for repairs to get a better sense of the market, to get a sense of what is the real value of a part out there and what is kind of the volume and transactional history of a part. And I think after the initial hesitation of sharing information that made everybody nervous, it's a few assurances that it can be kept private, it can be kept secure, um, we started, you know, we built a product and we started having different major companies share information. And what we found was it was very, very interesting to see the information uh, on a application where somebody could look at it and determine the true market value of a part or the true market price of a repair order. And each of these different companies we worked with has been surprised. They found indications of savings that they had no idea. They found areas where they were you know, too high, other areas where they were maybe charging too little. And I think it really opened their eyes to the possibilities that might come from, you know, data sharing. And so we've got an application up and going. We've got, you know, 800,000 transactions on it. And, wow. uh, and you know, we're, we're, we're discovering new insights every day as we look at the data and really, you know, dig into it. And now we're ready to kind of go to the next level and, you know, raise some money and introduce, you know, blockchain to that as well. So what's happening? I mean, what's happening in the uh, in the aftermarket arena? A lot of aircraft coming out of service. A lot of them being torn down. Um, you know, I know that has you know I know from personal experience a lot of the OEMs are are crying. Um, you know that that's hurting their aftermarket business. But on the flip side, you've got a lot of crafty private equity people coming in and you know, throwing a lot of money at, at midlife aircraft either for you know, release or teardown. You know, what's happening in the whole parts industry, in your, in your opinion? Yeah, the, from my perspective, right, we, what we see is we continue to see growth in, in aftermarket parts. First, I think there's a lot of airlines that are just starting to accept serviceable and overhauled parts. Uh, especially when you get over to uh, you know Asia and and the Middle East, uh, they're relatively newer fleets. They're just starting to introduce these um, aftermarket parts into their systems. In addition, with the low gas prices, you saw a lot of aircraft that they thought they were going to retire not not get retired. So it's it feels consistent. It feels as growth is continuing, there certainly have been some, you know, ups and downs with, we, we tend to have this burst of aircraft being torn down and then uh, it'll slow down. Prices might recover a little bit and another burst that, that, that comes along. But it, it feels like it's stabilizing a little bit now and, and it's growing. Uh, more aircraft fly. The average age of the aircraft get older. Uh, the demand for surplus parts uh, continues. 
The OEMs, what? sir. Go ahead. Go no no no. Go ahead. Tell us. Talk about the OEMs. Yeah, you know they're. It, it's a. It's interesting. I just read an article that GE, uh, the aviation group, just announced their financials, and I think they've got sixty percent of or more of their revenue is now coming from services, aftermarket services, versus selling new engines. It's fascinating that they uh, are driving more revenue on the aftermarket side than they are from selling new engines. Yeah, it's crazy. A real, good, a real good friend of mine, I'll just, you know, a real good friend of mine up at GE was, I think he, uh, he was, he was like, it's almost like, you know, taking candy from a baby in a lot of ways. <laughs> Our engines are so reliable. You know, we try to get them on power by hour on day one. But they're so reliable that, you know, they don't break. So we're able to collect, you know, uh, we're allowed to collect hourlies um, throughout the lifespan of the engine or, you know, you know, and then they're becoming more and more reliable. We're, as, as they become more and more reliable, we're making more and more money off of them. You guys seeing that or what, uh, what's, what's your thoughts there? You know, at, uh, at the engine level, I think you're seeing certainly a lot of that. Rolls Royce, I think, was the first really to drive this with their total care. Um, you know, GE is is moving certainly in that direction. Uh, you know, uh, United Technologies and and Rockwell is going to be an interesting or Intertrade. That's going to be an interesting uh, to to watch what happens there. That model, I certainly believe, is a a good model, um, and they should be looking to drive revenue from the aftermarket side and not push additional parts into the space. Right? It does create a it does create a challenge though, because if you're an operator, uh, it does uh, it creates an imbalance of power if you've got only one source or one option for a part, right? Uh, you know, Rolls Royce Total Care. It's a it's a blessing and a curse. You have only one single person who you can deal with with your engine, and and that's it. Yep. Right? And sometimes that could be great, and sometimes that could be a challenge. So I think the the operators and the airlines may begin to push back at some point. Uh, for them, I think it's better to have a few options. Obviously, for the OEMs, they like to capture the entire aftermarket and control it completely. Um, but I. I you're going to see each of them, each of the major ones, continue to push in that direction. Again, we haven't seen an impact down at where we're playing. Um, demand t- continues to grow. There continues to be more and more uh, demand for aftermarket parts, and I think uh, the the true control by the OEMs is obviously going to start the most expensive parts and work its way down. Um, and so I think we're a few years off yet to really see an impact, you know, kind of at the at the trading level of, of surplus parts. Right. Now, you know, it's, I, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, between the OEMs and the airlines and the leasing companies, it's always the cat and mouse game. I mean, the OEMs always it want, is. you know, they, they put a lot of money into, you know, they put a lot of money into the, the products, um, you know, a lot of risk-sharing part, you know, partnerships, et cetera, so they want to capitalize on on the back end. But ultimately, the airlines and the leasing companies all want it for the price that makes sense to their balance sheets. So, you know, I, I think it's always going to be a, a game of one-up. You know, who can get what out of whom? Am I correct? Absolutely, and I think this is where we come at with our solution of, of data and data sharing, which is 
as an operator, you know, you, the airline industry is so unique. It's, it's, you've got the global need for parts. It's unpredictable, the demand for these parts. You've got a tra- you got you know, traceability on all these parts and certifications. And if, you, and if you're missing a part, it's incredibly expensive. And so it is ripe in, in that scenario. It's ripe for people overpaying for insurance, have extra parts, overpay, overcharge for parts. Uh, and I think this is where the data sharing concept comes in is if the industry can share information across the industry, really find out what the best solution, performance, and reliability is across the industry, there's a lot of excess that can be taken out and a lot of savings that can exist. Um, and it, it can put the balance of power back into the uh, operators. Because mm-hmm. um, if they're dealing in their own little silo, uh, with, with directly with OEMs, they're not really going to be in a position of power to negotiate great contracts. I don't think. Well, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, too, it's, you talk about the, you know, the balance of power, and you know, I was talking to some equity guys last week, and I said, hey, look, at the end of the day, everybody wants to make a little bit of money. You, know, you want to make money. Your customers want to make money. You know, their customers want to make a little bit of money, and it's a, it's a rising tide. So, you know, sharing, maybe sharing information helps everybody, you know, you know, one guy doesn't get a monopoly, the other guy doesn't get, you know, isn't continually overpaying or vice versa. One guy isn't continually underpaying at the expense of the, of the other person. So maybe, you know, but let, let's talk about what, I mean, this is what really fascinated me. I've heard a couple of people talk about blockchain and now you're, you're actively in it and jet data is you know you've got some VC funding and you're 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 putting that into into the mix. Talk about blockchain as a theory and then how it plays to the parts side of the house. Yeah, blockchain certainly I think is getting a bit of a bad rap because of Bitcoin and the and the tokens, the coin you know environment that is uh, you know it's received a lot of hype, but it's also been you know pretty erratic and and attracted uh, some unsavory characters. But the underlying technology, the technology behind things like Bitcoin, blockchain, is very simply a very secure database that um, is very, very difficult to hack, very, very difficult to um, misuse. And at the simplest level, there's certainly a need in aviation for a, a database that everybody can trust and believe in that has the information uh, regarding all the different parts and airframes and engines in the industry. You can imagine what a different world this would be if, if every operator, supplier, OEM, parts broker out there could look and see how many IDGs or how many starters are actually in the market and how many are certified, ready to go, how many are on wing right now, how many are in the repair cycle right now. I think that would dramatically change uh, how everybody reacted and, and, and dealt with that marketplace if that information was, 
was open. If I could actually look up a part and find out, you know, is it on wing? Is it off on wing? Is it certified, not certified? Uh, and a distributed database like blockchain allows that to happen. Um, and, and it's going to happen. I think certainly in supply chain scenarios, I think there's a consensus across the industry outside of avian aviation that really the, the first killer app is going to be tracking information and assets in supply chain. And, and I think, you know, aviation is going to be one of the, one of the great examples of how this uh, technology really, you know, transforms an industry. So basically if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Boeing and I'm building a 737 max, Every part that goes into that aircraft, whether it comes from Rockwell Collins or LeBaire or whomever, UTC Aerospace, gets assigned a blockchain code, which gets loaded into the database and ultimately gets put on a, you know, an airplane serial number. Am I correct? And then through the lifetime yeah. of every part, it is tracked or trackable. And, and so then imagine uh, as that aircraft gets delivered... Um, every time there's a further event with that aircraft, be it the engine, be it the airframe, be it any of those parts, that event, it could be a repair, it could be a removal of a part, it could be an incident, it could be uh, just each, each uh, trip. That could be the weather patterns. It could be all things that happen with those parts uh, that are associated with that aircraft gets recorded. So there becomes a history that is open and transparent to everyone that can't be uh, changed. And, you know, see, it, it's, it's amazing if you think about the idea of returning an aircraft off lease or trying to buy and sell an aircraft or even an engine, that you literally pull out a box of paper and then walk through that aircraft or that engine, checking to make sure the different serial numbers happen to be on that aircraft still. And see right. if you have the right piece of paper in a box in order to finish that, you know, that transaction. I mean, whereas, whereas that, now with whereas now with a blockchain, you know, if the blockchain theory is used, you can literally, you know, take that airplane, bring it up, you know, just bring it up on a computer screen, and you can see every part number that's been traded, taken off it, exactly. put onto it, repaired how much each repair cost. So literally now you're talking exactly. about, you're talking about a whole new, you know, you're talking about a whole new playground with regards to reliability, maintainability of parts, um, on-wing service, cost of main, you know, cost of life cycle, or, or I should say cost of ownership of that aircraft minus fuel yep. and pilots from a maintenance standpoint, etc. And and literally, airplanes you're, you're, airplanes can now be re delivered in ten minutes versus ten weeks. And you're talking about the holy grail, which I think we're going to get to. But I think it all is going to start with some individual parts. I think the first things that are going to go into the blockchain are literally just at some tick one part number for one type of aircraft, and we start tracking the certifications for that single part number. You know, prove that this technology works, 
that it's easy to use and that it starts to create value. And as that starts to expand pretty quickly, additional part numbers, additional layers of information around those part numbers. First, maybe it starts with, let's just, let's just have a digital 8130 or Form 1 certification for a part that we can, anybody can go and verify that that part number and that serial number has this certification associated with it right? instead of today a piece of paper. Right? That's the start. And as you build that database of parts, that starts to get associated with an airframe or an engine, and that starts to create that history over time. And so absolutely that starts to change the industry. Who's got the most, I mean, who's got the, who's got the most upside from a monetization part, from the monetization side of blockchain? Who wins in this whole thing? Is it the guy that, or girl that creates a company that creates the database? Is it everybody that wants to play it? Who, who can monetize? You know, is it the first person that comes in to the industry with the right blockchain product? Or is it is yeah. Airbus and Boeing or the OEMs that, that take care of it for their own airplanes and everybody else kind of feeds off of it? You know, I I, uh, I believe there's kind of two... There, when we talk about the supply chain in aviation, there's two kind of different worlds, right? One is take Airbus or Boeing. They're both working on blockchain type of applications, but they're really just focused on them manufacturing that aircraft. So they're looking at all the parts and tracking all the different components that come into the building of that aircraft, right? Then there's a second supply chain, which really involves everybody in the industry. Once that aircraft gets delivered and it, it's then, uh, you know, operated over the next 20 or 30 years, it's operated by many different people potentially. It's worked on by many different people in the industry. Parts come in and come out of it. It's really that second piece. It's tracking and keeping the right records during that 30-year history of the aircraft versus the manufacturing of the aircraft that gotcha. we're talking about. I think the real, the real winner is, in the long run, is going to be the operators. The operators have uh, you know, some very simple calculations, right? They've probably got 30 to $40 billion worth of spare parts on their inventory right now that, you know, 30 to 40% of that is probably unnecessary or wow. outdated or old that they shouldn't have on their books. And they should have never gotten on the books. If the industry was transparent, if it was easy to make transactions and to pool parts and to exchange parts across the industry, there wouldn't be the need to have so many surplus, you know, insurance policy parts in every operator's inventory. That really, to me, is the is the biggest single change that will happen in this industry. Is we will be much more efficient. You don't you don't need five thousand parts to support a fleet of a thousand aircraft if everybody's working together. Right and sharing information across across the industry. Yeah, no, I've um, heard horror stories of some of the. I've heard horror stories of some of the, the aftermarket guys. You know, some of the, you know the you know just some of the USM providers and, you know, monumental write downs on, 
on equipment, well, on, on it, parts. They're like, oh my gosh, well, yeah, we haven't bid this thing out or we haven't quoted this thing in five or six years. It's slow moving material. What are we still doing sitting on it? And next thing you know, they're taking, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars of write downs and, uh, uh, you know, they're scratching their head going, what the hell are we doing? So I, I take what yeah. you're saying is this could eliminate that whole or, you know, a, a big portion of this whole problem. And imagine for an airline, if they could look by airframe or by engine type, and they could see the trend of what's happening for the average pricing of parts associated with that airframe or that engine. Here's the general trend. Here's what's coming down. Here's what's happening. We can see where the price is moving. At what point does it make sense for you as an airline to reduce your inventory levels? At what point does it make sense not to repair anymore, but to go buy out on the market? How do you manage all this inventory that you have for this fleet? Uh, today, they do it with no information. They can't really, they have people on the phone getting quotes and emails, and they put some of those quotes and emails in the system, but they really have no information to truly manage, plan, and uh, be efficient about the spare parts that they have, uh, you know, in these, you know, five, 600,000 square foot warehouses around the world. Now, walk yeah. these warehouses with the airlines. It's unbelievable to see the inefficiency, the overspending in that in that market because they don't have any information. And I, you can't blame them. They have no information. They don't know. So buy the part, put it in there, make sure we don't have a problem. Yep. I don't know what's out there. I can't find it. I can't transact very easily. Yeah, no, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the inefficiency. You know, you got your buyers out there and they're calling – yeah, you know, they're calling you know GA Telesis and you guys and VAS Aero and ITS and some of the other some of the other you know companies out there. Not to mention the OEM, just just hunting down a a single part number, which may or may not be easy to find, and then then praying that you know they can get it there in 48 hours to to take care of an AOG airplane. Um, you know, yeah, it's we've amazing done, we've, we've done 21st century. We've done a We've done a couple studies with a couple different airlines, and we track 75 different kind of emails, phone calls, communication loops in a typical part that costs $10,000 and above. Mm-hmm. There's about 75 different emails and, and, and communications generated for each purchase. It's unbelievable because wow. there's lack of information. You have to go out there. You have to get some bids and... You have to get these RFQs, and that generates its whole, its whole life of communication trail that happens. But it's expensive, and it's time-consuming. And it's why you overspend, and it's why you, you know, take out an insurance policy of let's put three extra parts in our warehouse, right, because it's just hard to deal with. And then I'm going to get stuck with that because I'm going to hold on to it for 10 years and never think about it again. And, oop, now it's worth nothing. Yeah. Now, are we just, I mean, is, is, is aviation just so far behind? Are we just so archaic in our thoughts? I mean, you think about Amazon. Well, we're there. Yeah, we we're there. Have, yeah. We, Go we ahead. Have a really unique, we have a really unique situation, like I mentioned, which is um, these spare parts. Typically, when you think about inventory, it's inventory that's going to go into a product that gets delivered and, uh, and you sell, right? So you can do just-in-time inventory. You can... You can really manage that carefully. But we have spare parts, highly unpredictable demand for these spare parts. I just don't know when I may or may not need them. The global aspect puts in customs fees and issues. Where do you locate these parts? When, where, how? 
it adds a, a tremendous amount of uncertainty and unpredictability, especially if you're a smaller airline, right? Yeah. That, that makes this industry very different, I think, from a lot of other industries when you think about spare parts. And then you add, if, if you miss on a spare part and the aircraft is AOG, that cost, you know, is significant and dramatic and the disruption across the entire, you know, operations can be, can be, can be huge, right? So, yeah, I think in general, we have just said, err on the side of caution, buy extra, and, and we try to do some analytics, but we just don't have the, the information because each airline operator is kind of a silo unto itself. Right. And what we need is, what we need is, I need to see all 2,000 737 NGs, right? Across, I don't care which operator. I want to see all that information. And I want to see all the parts and all the reliability across that entire fleet. And then we can make some pretty good decisions as an industry. But each individual operator, you know, is really going to be flying in the dark with their limited amount of information. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, so with, you know, with regards to blockchain, it sounds like the, you know, the airlines are really going to drive it. You know, they want to see it just for, for ease of operations and cost. The OEMs probably want to see it because, you know, it helps them build either better parts or help their demand. Um, you know, their demand, uh, matching demand. Yeah. Who's out there? Who doesn't want to see? Is there anybody out there that's like, hey, look, man, I'm, I'm just happy. I'm just happy with status quo. <laughs> is, is it the brokers well, think, or, is it, or do you think I, that I, I, this I, rise is a tie for everybody? Yeah, I think brokers, certainly it's an issue. It, it's an issue, right? Because it's going to pull, it's going to make the industry more efficient and it's going to reduce those extra margins of, you know, when parts trade hands three or four times before it gets to an operator, it's going to, it's going to really impact that. And I think for OEMs as well, it's going to really force the issue for OEMs to move in a direction of providing aftermarket services rather than trying to push additional parts into the inventory. So in some respects, it's going to be painful for the OEMs. And I think they, they, they don't gain when there's transparency of information in their current business models. Right? They really need to move to more of a service model and, 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 and make that uh, their focus. So I think there's, there are a couple parties that are going to resist this. The biggest challenge in blockchain is going to be you need an independent third party. So if one big manufacturer or one big airline or one big MRO tries to lead the charge, I think there's going to be a fair amount of mistrust or uncertainty um, in the industry. It's, it's going to need to be an independent third party, I believe, to get the ball rolling and get started. That um, that brings up a great that brings up a great point. So with like, let's just talk about some of the cryptocurrencies. You know, uh, uh, Bitcoin, for instance. Nobody really knows who invented Bitcoin. <laughs> it's just there. They don't. It's still it's still a mystery. It's still a mystery. Uh, you know, so so all of a sudden now we're talking about a highly regulated industry, the FAA or YASA or CAC or whatever. You're talking about highly regulated industries, and we're saying let's go blockchain. Who becomes the governing? Who do you think becomes the governing authority? And what's ground zero? I mean, you guys are you're looking at it from a business perspective and sort of your own, you know, your own, yeah. uh, uh, your, 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 and your own four walls. Where does it start? We're, we're, 
It, we're certainly we're certainly making an effort to be one of those you know key people who who get this started with and like I said, it comes with one part. Let's start there and let's build to that. But there's one there's two different types of blockchains out there in the world. One is kind of a public blockchain, and that's that's Bitcoin's a good example of that. We have no idea who started it. We we everybody's really anonymous on there, uh, and it certainly has its purpose. But in our world of aviation, where we have safety and we have, uh, uh, you know, regulatory issues, we would be using what's called a permission blockchain or a private blockchain, which means in order to get onto the blockchain or to access the blockchain, you need to be credentialed. So we need to know who you are. We need to know that you're a mechanic that's certified that works for, you know, United Airlines, or we need to know that you're a FAA repair station you know, based in Singapore, and, and you're the lead inspector of that of that facility. We need to know who you are, and I think that changes and makes a lot of things a little bit easier in our world because we're going to have a private blockchain. Aviation is going to have a private blockchain where everyone's identified up front. Their transactions and what happens is open for anybody on that blockchain to see. That's the, the magic of a blockchain, but we'll know who's doing it. And, and we'll keep track of who's doing it. And, uh, you know, I think that's the big difference between something like Bitcoin and what we'll see in aviation. Is we'll see a private or permissioned blockchain. So how is it monetized? Is it like the real estate MLS system where every realtor in the world basically pays a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever it is to, to, to be on it? And whoever yeah, controls think, it collects the cash? Uh, I think um, the controlling it is going to be difficult because it's going to be an open, you know, within the aviation community, those who are, are in that community can can, uh, can get in and operate and, and work on it. But I, I think of it more like a, um, a golf, uh, a, uh, a private golf course. So private golf course charges some uh, membership fees. You know, you might pay a membership fee to join the golf course, and then there might be some fees to, uh, you know, some you know to buy your Budweiser, to buy your hamburger, or to you know rent a golf cart to uh, make it easier to to move around that that uh, golf course, right? And yep. if more people join, as more people join that golf course, the overall value of that membership kind of goes up. Because we've we've added a clubhouse, we have more members, and so um, there's value created for everybody who's a part of that golf course as that those membership fees become more valuable. And I think of that very similar to the idea of a blockchain for aviation. The value really is in that network of information, that database of information. As we have information on one single part, there's certainly some value for some key people involved with that part. But the value grows as we add additional uh, parts and as we add additional layers of information and history on each of those parts. Till some point, you're going to have an extremely valuable network or database that can handle very sophisticated analytics uh, to allow real optimization and efficiency in this industry. And as we get to that point and more and more Parts and companies are involved and on that network, that value certainly grows dramatically. And the value exchange really starts to happen 
you know, hey, to get onto that network, you need to be credentialed. You need to, you know, uh, have certain data formats. You need to kind of adhere to certain protocols. And there will be companies, hopefully like Jeddata, who can help you do that for a fee. But once you're on that network transacting, it's really, um, it's really value goes to all those that are on the network. Right. And the monetization really um, happens between parties on the network, not with the third party. There's really no, there aren't really fees for a transaction or fees for for uh, activities that happen to somebody like a jet data. Right. I got you. We're helping so how set does, it up and onboard them. Yeah. So what? I mean, so how's your model? How's your model working? I mean, you you're out there. You, well, you're up. You start up and. You, you yeah, we're. Uh, we're out building, you know, building the, the technology that that's needed to have this private blockchain. And we're in the world of blockchain. There's kind of two, you think of two ways to interact with a blockchain. One is you can uh, interact it like a programmer does. So it's you know it's it's a little tricky. You can do it. Anybody can do it. But um, uh, you know, it's kind of like the old green screen and, and uh, you kind of need to know what you're doing. Or you can interact with the blockchain with, a, with an application or an interface in some way. You know, we hope to provide an interface to deal with the blockchain to make it a little bit simpler, a little bit easier. We hope to provide credentialing type services to entities and individuals to get access to this private blockchain. And, you know, we see our um, our revenue or fees coming from those types of credentialing or application activities or, you know, providing a tool to allow analytics, right? You can do your own analytics yourself if you'd like, or hopefully we've got a tool that makes it that much easier and much more straightforward and you're willing to pay a little bit for that. Uh, the Linux community out there is a, is a good example. It's an open source programming language. It's very popular. Many people have used it. It's, and it's free. Right. And yet there's a lot of companies out there who provide services and help and different applications around Linux that charge for that, even though the core application of Linux is free. And, and we view that as a similar model to what you'll see in blockchain, you know, in aviation, yeah. is that core database will be free. Gotcha. Yeah, a lot of the avionics, I know a lot of the avionics Manufacturers are talking about, you know, the, the, the coding for avionics is about ready to go open source. A lot of, yeah. know, a lot of folks are talking about open source and you're like, well, wait a minute. How does, how does Honeywell and Rockwell and astronautics and all those guys, how do they make money if their code is no longer, you know, sort of proprietary? But at the end of the day, I guess there's, there's multiple ways to make money in that whole, there is. in that there's plenty of business, plenty of business models, but, uh, no, that's a yeah. So, so blockchain is a relatively new technology. Is it's fine? It's is very new. Coding is coding. I mean, you got guy people that can go code it. Ah, uh, it's that's probably the single biggest challenge. Right? Is that we have a lot of great coders in the world, but who know little to nothing about blockchain. Right. So th- there's a there's a big shortage in 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 talent now. Luckily, there's a lot of transferable skills from a traditional you know, full-stack engineer to, to blockchain, and it's just a matter of getting up to speed. And, and it's attracting more and more people every day into that world, but uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because you can't 
you, you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to code in blockchain. You really need to, you know, get up to speed and, and get trained and, and learn about the technology. So that is one big challenge. How long before the future is here? I mean, we're talking, you know, we're kind of talking about futuristic. I, mean, I was talking to some fellows at Sikorsky Helicopters a couple of years ago, and they were saying, hey, look, you know, the technology is there to create very predictive supply chains. Um, how long before the future is here? I think it's going to be quicker than we think. There is one application out there in in supply chain that we see that is up, that's running, and is creating value right now. It's a company called Everledger with diamonds. They track diamonds and uh, provide a unique identifier to a diamond mm-hmm. and can track it all the way from the source, you know, mine, you know, to the final person that's been sold, and, and it can kind of track blood, blood money. That's the first real application in supply chain, blockchain, that's, that's up, that's running, and providing value today. And, it, and uh, it's a great uh, example that it might be closer than we think at a, at a limited scale. Getting to, you know, we talked about that holy grail of we know everything about an aircraft. We know every part. We know the engine. We know everything, uh, the history of that aircraft for the last 20 years. Anything and everything that's happened to that is all digital. You know, I think we're, you know, probably 10, 15 years away from, from achieving that vision. And along the way, we'll start picking off a part at a time, a platform at a time, uh, an engine at a time, and it will continue to grow. But I think you'll see an app. I think you'll see some applications. You know, end of 2018. I think you could see some limited applications up and running on blockchain in aviation. How many players like you guys are out? I mean, you know, you you talk about jet data, and I know Boeing, Airbus are. Are, are striving for it. Is the market gonna? Is it? Is it gonna be? Uh, is it gonna be a lot of players coming in quick, or is it gonna be just a few players making the market as a whole? You know, it's a great. It's a great question. We certainly see a lot of people studying it and talking about it. Um, I think we're the first ones who've come out and said we're we're going to actually launch an application for this kind of specific use case. There's a few blockchain applications that have been focused on the, you know, ticketing and revenue side, but we haven't really seen a, you know, private company yet kind of attempt at what we're doing. Now, that being said, I'm sure once, as we get more public out there, I'm sure there are going to be a variety of folks that kind of come out of the woodwork and, and, uh, and attempt to come out to the market. But right now, it's, it's rel- like you said, it's relatively new. I think a lot of people are getting their heads around it. It's technical. You've got to have a lot of expertise in aviation to really, you know, attempt it and go after it. And so if you don't understand the industry, it's hard to just go start a company in it. Right. Yeah, you've got a pretty good uh, – how did you get into the crazy world of aftermarket? Coming from you know, I, Boston, did you I, did you have like a did did you have a memory you know kind of a memory lapse or something that uh, yeah I, did, I, did. <laughs> I got I I got recruited to a company out in Southern California that was at an old Air Force base and they did some aircraft maintenance and they had a parts business and I helped them with a more of a financial transaction raise some money and buy out a joint partner Pat and Whitney and and through that uh, experience. Um, 
you know, got to see the books and got to see the details of the parts industry and realized that there was something there. Met my co-founder, Greg, who had been in the business for a while. And, you know, as we looked at it, I said, wow, this is, there's so much confusion and so, la- so much lack of transparency that you could just go start a company and be successful at this. And that's what we did. We went and started. Wow. <laughs> really, we could just start up, we could just start up a company and begin, you know, buying and selling parts. You know, it's, it's, I make it sound easy. It was a lot of hard work, but it still was, to me, emblematic of the problems of the industry that I could just go start a company and become relatively successful in the parts business. Right. Uh, a lot of market, a lot of market, how, a lot of market inefficiencies leave a lot of gaps open for, exactly. for people to come in and, so, and sort of, you know, capture a little piece for themselves. Yeah. After spending time in the hard drive industry and big technology companies, I have a lot of friends that say, you're doing what now? Like, Parts, the airplane parts, and it's a it's a fascinating because of it's a fascinating industry. I love it. It's it's crazy. It's dynamic. Uh, there's going to be a lot of change in the coming years, and for that reason, it's fun. Uh, it's it's fascinating. I think for a guy who likes information, data, and analytics like me, there's a lot of opportunity for things to change and to develop, and so that's that's been really fun. Where are we all going from here? Do you, you, how do you, are you bullish on the whole market? Yeah, you, you, how do you feel about the, how do you feel about the industry as a whole? Where's the biggest challenge for you guys? I'm, I'm bullish. I'm bullish, but I do believe there's going to be a lot of change. I, I think for, for, for too long, there's not been, you know, good information on this side. And I think once on the supply chain side, on that MRO side, once the, information gets out there and the transparency happens, I think you're going to see a lot of changes in business models. You know, the idea of, of pooling parts and exchanging parts, um, the ownership of private equity ownership of assets, which is really hard right now. I think it becomes much easier when it's very transparent and open. And I think that's when you get to see business models change. Uh, ownership of assets, you know, becomes much easier to monetize or to allow others into who may not be, you know, aviation experts. And I think we could see a lot of change. I think, you know, um, we're in for a wild and crazy 10 years, but I'm, I'm, I love change. I think that's good. Um, if I'm a broker, you better get ready. And if I'm an OEM, you better make sure you've, you've got a great aftermarket business. Um, in services, right? Because I think those those two businesses will change significantly in the future. How do people get a hold of you over at Jet Data? Uh, you know, email me. That's a, that's the best way. We're at uh, jetdata.com. Uh, go, sorry, gojetdata.com. Or I'm at Eldon at gojetdata.com. Um, and we'd, we'd love to talk to anybody who's interested and, or just wants to talk about blockchain or the industry. We, we'd love to talk, and, uh, and we always seem to learn something, everybody we talk to. Eldon at GoJetData.com. That's it. Awesome. Hey, we've enjoyed it today. Thank you for, uh, thank you for uh, making some time to talk about this, and, and I'll look forward to having you back because uh, I think there's a lot of – I think there's gonna. I think we're just breaking the surface on this, to be honest with you. So I'm gonna look forward to, to having you back in a couple of months to hear about your progress. Well, Craig, thank you, and yeah, I hope to have lots to tell you in a few months. Awesome. Look forward to it.